Welcome back to another episode of For Fintech's Sake. I'm your host, Zach Anderson Pettit. My guests today are Amy Friend and John Beccia from FS Vector. FS Vector is a strategic advisory firm offering advisory, public policy, and recruiting services on the cutting edge of financial services. That was a mouthful, but I promise by the end of this whole thing, you'll understand what that actually meant. Amy Friend is a senior advisor at FS Vector. She's a board member at Vero and has just an absolutely fascinating career with stories to tell about being chief counsel at the OCC. She's on the board of FinReg Lab, just a wonderful thought leader in the space. Also a very kind and fun human to talk to. John and I go all the way back to my days at MBKC, uh, where he actually flew in town and spent time with, I think, our second cohort. So you can tell just from that that he's a very giving individual. Uh, John's the CEO at FS Vector. He's part of the Circle Regulatory Mafia, as I like to call them. Not an actual mafia. Just keep listening, and I promise that will make sense. It's like a PayPal mafia joke, which is not that hilarious, but we keep moving. This interview was done a while back, pre-election actually, and we're just getting to release. So some of the dates around FS Factor events, some of the dates around the election coming up, things like that may seem out of order, um, but just bear with us. I promise the meat of the conversation is still worth a listen and still absolutely fascinating and really timeless in a lot of ways. So with that, without further ado, enjoy my conversation with Amy and John. So John, Amy, welcome to For Fintech's Sake. It's good to have the both of you here. It's a long time coming. John, I don't think I've seen you for like a year. Amy, we've never officially met in person, but we're developing quite a Zoom relationship. So very excited to have you both on today. Um, maybe if we could just start with some human introductions. I'd love to just kind of hear the, the Amy background and the John background and kind of what led you both to where we stand today with this conversation around FS Vector. Amy, maybe you first. Okay. Hi, Zach. It's nice to be with you finally. I know we've tried for a long time, so I'm glad we got it together. Um, let's see. I'm a senior advisor uh, at FS Vector, working with John and, and team, and uh, not necessarily a linear path that got me to where I am today, but um, my last big job was chief counsel of the Office of the Controller of the Currency, and I led their um, Initiative on Innovation, which got me into the fintech world. It was a great introduction. And after I left the OCC, I deliberately took some time to think about what I wanted to do next. And I talked to a lot of interesting people just to get their sort of thoughts and um, what they thought was interesting, what they did during a transition. And I had somebody say something to me I thought was so profound, which is, I do what I do because I want to be part of that conversation. So mm. I thought, what conversation do I want to be part of? And I thought FinTech was super exciting. So that's what finds me here. I've also spent a bunch of time on Capitol Hill. Um, I was the chief counsel of the Senate Banking Committee during the last financial crisis in 2008 uh, and worked a lot on TARP and Dodd-Frank. So I'm kind of a Hill you know, regulator with some private sector experience. So that's why I'm here today. Best of both worlds. I love it. And you're also a board member at Vero, which just secured a bank charter. So that's a very exciting thing too. Very exciting. Yeah. So I joined Vero in uh, March of last year and saw it through its transformation from fintech uh, sort of challenger bank to now an official 
national bank, the first tech, fintech that actually became a full service national bank. So it was a long, um, challenging road to get there, but really excited about all the great things that VARA is going to do. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, there's like 35 questions that come out of just that quick background, but I'll, I'll, we'll zoom through that. We'll go to John and then we'll circle back on that piece. So John, what, what led you to FS Vector? Hey, Zach. Thanks again for having me. Uh, great to see you again. Uh, yeah, like <laughs> similar to Amy, you know, these paths are quite diverse and you never know which way you're going to go. I actually am a part-time adjunct professor at Boston University School of Law. And my students often ask me, like, how did you get you know, to this career path and land up in this location. And I usually tell them, you know, it's part luck, part being in the right place at the right time. And a lot of, you know, creating those opportunities through, you know, having some kind of general direction that you're going to go down. And for me, it was, you know, getting into the financial services space generally. And I spent most of my career career in the banking space. So I'm a lawyer by trade. So I've always been, I've always worn multiple hats. So I've been in-house I've been a chief compliance officer and I've done government relations work. So I was a chief regulatory counsel for the financial services roundtable back in the day in Washington, D.C. And then about seven years ago, I got a call out of the blue from a lawyer I knew and uh, said the CEO was looking for a a general counsel for a a big Bitcoin blockchain company called Circle uh, based out of Boston. And I tell you, I got to tell you, I had no idea what Bitcoin was. I had no idea what the blockchain was. I said, hey. It sounds pretty interesting. And so I, lo and behold, I left the exciting world of private banking to go to a startup. So I had my, I turned in my, my suit and tie for, you know, my hoodie and my t-shirts and, uh, and, and the average age of the, the company was uh, well, well below where I am. Uh, but really an exciting, you know, opportunity and really was kind of a planted the seed for where we are today with FS Vector because it really was on the cutting edge of thinking through, you know, technology, the intersection of technology, regulation, compliance, and financial services. And how do we get these really leverage the technology and get these uh, these products to market in a way that can actually benefit people, benefit consumers, benefit the, the economy and, and financial services in general. And so we did a lot of that with Circle in terms of working with governments, being proactive, you know, thinking through those things. And that, again, led us to, when I left there, led me to want to do more of that for more companies with FS Vector. And we can talk a little bit about, you know, what we're up to here as well. It's, it's so funny. The more you dig into the world of fintech, it seems like so much of the the really forward-thinking, compliance-oriented minds in the space. Like, if you look a couple of years back on their LinkedIn there's generally a circle there somewhere, you know, the overlap, it seems like there's like a, a like a circle mafia or something that's mm-hmm. very like compliance reg tech centric. That's kind of like taking over the world. So it, it seems like there was something kind of magical in the water there. Like you were just kind of one of the first or something, but it seems like there was something there that just drove a whole bunch of entrepreneurship in the space. Yeah. Well, I think it was just needing to make it up as we went along and thinking through, you know, and yeah. trying to think through, you know, there wasn't a clear framework and it was about, you know, but want to trying to figure out a way to do things the right way on the compliance side, you know, thinking about compliance as a competitive advantage, really, and building things, you know, how do we build things to manage the risks, you know, looking at at the end of the day, you know, we want to build a product that resonates with with our consumers and customers, but we also have risks to mitigate. And so how do we kind of marry both those things? And also, how do we leverage the technology? And so when I think about reg tech and what's going on now, we're really at the front end of that in terms of trying to figure out, you know, when I was in the bank, in my banking days, 
you know, when we had systems to monitor for anti-money laundering and things like that, it really it didn't tell you anything. You know, it wasn't good data. It wasn't the, the machine learning and AI tools that we have today that really give you a further understanding of customer behaviors, patterns, and things like that. It was more of a kind of rules-based, you know, you set these alerts and then you needed a million people to review them. Um, you know, when, at Circle, we were really starting to think through, well, how do we leverage the data to really let us know more about our customers, let us know, know more about the risks? And yeah, I think that really was the impetus behind, you know, some of the developments on the regulatory side. And then on the product side, we had so many talented people in terms of looking at the blockchain. I mean, we're still early days when it comes to blockchain technology and where that can go. But uh, you're start, yeah. starting to see it now in terms of some of the use cases and some of the as the as the regulatory frameworks start to uh, become more clear, you're starting to see a lot more uh, exciting products and developments in that space as well. So, yeah, speaking of regulatory frameworks, I mean, I think that's where a lot of you, uh, you know, you two spend a lot of your time. Um, can you describe kind of what? I think of FS Vector as like this kind of umbrella, you know, that has a different sets of services and technology and connections under it. But can you give me just like a high level of what FS Vector is um, and maybe even how you work with kind of a, I guess Bond is not necessarily a later stage company, but, you know, a group like Bond that's maybe raised 30, 40 million bucks. And then, you know, to our previous life at Fountain City Fintech and you and I working together there, John, um, you know, how you help like very early stage, almost idea stage uh, companies as well. Yeah, I can start with that and then be interesting to get Amy's take too, because really the yeah. beauty of FS Vector and the way we built it is we brought in people uh, that have seen this from all different perspectives. So Amy is a former regulator, is someone who's been you know on the Hill, has been a consultant, you know, Raj Date, my co-founder who is an investor, who is a former regulator and others, um, you know, folks like myself who've been in-house. I mean, I think that is the practical knowledge and also being able to see all sides of the equation here. Uh, but essentially, when I think about FS Vector, you know, at the very core, the philosophy is to help people innovate, help financial services firms innovate. And that is leads to hopefully a lot of benefits for, for consumers, a lot of benefits for the economy in general. Um, you know, obviously financial services play a big role in everybody's lives uh, when it comes to things like payments, comes to, you know, financial wealth management, comes to uh, lending, purchasing houses, vehicles, everything across the board. And so to be able to do that a better way, a smarter way, and, and, and you know, to be able to leverage the technology and reach folks that maybe haven't previously been reached in that system, I think is really compelling. And so from, from FS Vector standpoint, you know, we work with a lot of, you know, all across the board in terms of all uh, shapes and sizes of companies. So as you mentioned, early stage, and those are the ones that really need a lot of assistance in terms of, and you know, what we do is offer, you know, pretty much everything. What is a roadmap? I remember when I walked into the circle, you know, having a lot of experience in, in regulatory and compliance, but not really knowing, you know, how do I pull all these pieces together? And, you know, I think that's what we're able to offer as a service in terms of, you know, whether it's, you know, seeking out investors, seeking out bank partnerships, thinking through the regulatory roadmap, like how do I get licensed or do I need to be licensed? Um, you know, what are my choices here? What am, and then what are the risks and the, and the benefits? And so, you know, that's a lot of what we do day in and day out. It's, you know, a higher level strategy advisory and then, you know, more into the weeds in terms of, you know, thinking through how to build the technology, especially reg tech tools and compliance management systems and programs there. 
Um, and then it's also a lot of complementary pieces. So we do work, um, you know, government relations and policy work around, you know, educating uh, policymakers around these different business models. Uh, and then filling in the gaps around, you know, we offer services to help folks, uh, you know, attract and retain talent. So we do some of that as well as, you know, bridging the gap and doing outsourced, uh, you know, uh, job roles and things like that. So it's a, it's a diverse <laughs> suite of products and services, but it's really, you know, that's intentional. It's really meant to be able to kind of be a little bit of a one-stop shop and be an ongoing partner with our clients. And I think that's the key, you know, some of the things, you know, say Bond, for example, really, you know, it's it's helping as the company grows and there's a lot of exciting things. It's a really exciting business model um, to be able to take that and, you know, from a, from the point where it's a, a great thought and a, a strategy to, you know, really build it out, reach the customers, reach those partners that you want to reach, you know, clear the the potential barriers on the regulatory compliance side and, and and be successful. I think that's that's the ultimate goal, and, and we partner with our clients doing that. I would just add that you know, in addition to helping them innovate, it really is understanding what regulations actually apply, or if they want to partner with a bank, what does a bank expect, mm -hmm. and that means what does their regulator expect. So you know, sort of demystifying what is the regulatory perspective. Uh, what goes into building that product in a way that's compliant, which is a, I think it's a very different mindset than what we saw five years ago, which is sort of build it and then figure out what it is and what, you know, and then what might apply. I think there's more thinking now about maybe you build in some compliance as you're going along, um, which seems to make a whole lot of sense. So I've sort of seen that, that mind shift over time. And I think that's what, Amongst other things, that's what we can really bring to the table, having had that regulatory background um, and, and business background as well. One of the terms that I love that I've heard both of you use at different freight, different times in our previous conversations is responsible innovation, which like I think is, you know, one of those you got to be at a really nerdy water cooler to get into this conversation. But I think we're all sitting at that water cooler right now. So let's let's go there. Um how like that that feels like something that we should all kind of be on the same page about as an industry but you know if you look at maybe some of the larger kind of established fintechs in the industry especially those that maybe live on the the west coast and are you know hypothetically named after kind of old fictional characters and do free stock trading um maybe some of those are not all that concerned about compliance in certain ways or aren't that concerned about a little blowback here and there so how do you two i mean when you're talking to founders, are they generally on the same page of like, we want to paint inside the lines? Obviously, we have desires outside the lines, but like, how, how are you finding that kind of conversation just percolating in the space right now? I imagine that's like a 36 month conversation at Vero at this point, going from, you know, sponsor banks to officially a bank. I mean, that's, anyways, there's a lot there, but I'm just curious how you two think about all that. So I, don't know whether the OCC originated that, but maybe we could take a little credit because I remember working on this initiative in 2014 and talking to the then controller, Tom Curry, when we came up with the idea that we should position the OCC to understand what is happening in FinTech, what's happening outside the banking industry, what's happening in the banking system. So I remember him saying, 
We don't want to be telling banks to go after every shiny new penny. We don't want to set it up that way. We need, we need to figure out this framework. So we kind of came up with responsible innovation and everything the OCC sort of talked about then on in this space was how do we promote, how do we support, how do we get into the banking system responsible innovation? And that concept was really about saying to banks, is this consistent with your business plan? Don't just go out on a limb. Don't bring in something you don't understand. Understand the risks, understand how to control the risk, mm -hmm. do things that are truly beneficial. What's gonna be good to your customers, for your customers? What works to advance your business processes in a more efficient, effective way? So that at least in the banking system, that was the idea behind we want to build this sort of innovation initiative, but it's all about responsible innovation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree. And I, I do think the OCC was partly uh, responsible for that term. And it is a good term in terms of uh, how to think about, you know, moving forward, especially in a heavily regulated space like financial services. I, I think, you know, we we come in contact with a lot of you know, founders and, and folks within fintech companies. And a lot of them have never had any exposure to financial services regulation. And it really, you know, their initial philosophy runs on, you know, all ends of the spectrum. You know, some folks embrace it. Some folks want to just run and get to market. But, you know, I think what we see at the end of the day, the ones that really succeed are the ones that embrace it. And, you know, and that's was my experience initially with Circle. We had a, a leadership team that was all about engaging governments early and often, all about thinking through how to build things the right way in a responsible way. And it it led to a competitive advantage, you know, in terms of, you know, getting licenses first or getting stronger investors and bank partnerships. And you see, you know, at the end, end game and the goal is to, you know, get your product to market and get market share. Uh, I think you're better off doing it, uh, working proactively in a collaborative fashion with regulators. And I think it's uh, it makes a lot more sense. And I think at the end of the day, you'll be you'll be more successful. It is such a like multi-tenant. Like there's just so much to know. You know, I guess I've been in fintech for seven. God, that's weird. Seven years now, and. It's so interesting how I still come to work most days and feel like I know absolutely nothing, right? Like I will every, like seven out of eight hours of the day, I feel like I'm drinking from this just insane fire hose. And one of the things, you know, John, especially you and I have spent more time together with you and KC and things like that. Like one of the things that I've noticed about you two is just every time I sit with you, I learn something. Um, and it seems like you guys are really leaning into that at FS Vector, specifically with this raft uh, thing that you're kind of setting off next week. And it, it stands for regulatory and fintech training, from what I understand. And I'd love to just hear more about like how that came about, kind of who you decided to partner with, like the the why of that. But it sounds like you kind of just described some of the why too. Yeah, man. To me, it comes a lot of this comes down to you know education and, and also collaboration. And so one understanding really what these business models are, you know, a lot of this new technology, and I'll tell you, frankly, myself, I mean, I learned a new thing every day also, you know, uh, you know, I mentioned that I had no idea what Bitcoin and blockchain was. I think now I finally know enough to be dangerous, but, you know, every day you, you're learning and, you know, it's, it, and if you look at, to, to 
no matter what side of the equation you are on, I mean, if you're a regulator, you need to understand how this works. You need to understand the risks to be able to fulfill your mission. You know, your mission usually is to promote safety and soundness, consumer protection, protect against those regulatory risks that we know and love, you know, money laundering, things like that, information security, privacy, and the list goes on and on. If you're on the business side, you also need to know the same thing because these risks are, are real. Um, they could have a financial impact. They could have a, a business impact. And obviously, if you're, especially if you're dealing with consumers, you need to be able to show them that you're uh, a legitimate business and you're a responsible business and uh, to be able to promote, promote what, what service you're offering. Um, so I think all those things are, you know, important uh, to, to consider when you're when you're kind of thinking through uh, both sides of this. I guess I should also express a little more. So I also wanted to mention, you know, in terms of raft, and I lost my train of thought there for a second. But in terms of raft, I think, yeah, um, you know, I think again, the the point is to make sure that people you have all the stakeholders there that are necessary. So there's multiple stakeholders at play here. You know, whether it's you know, the, the, the businesses, the regulators, the investors, you know, everybody that plays a role into creating these fintech firms, creating this ecosystem, uh, consumer groups, everybody, you know, plays a role, a critical role in kind of shaping the frameworks here. And so to have them, you know, be have a discussion, you know, it's very similar to some of the things, you know, what the OCC did, and, you know, as terms of creating an office of innovation, you know, the, when you think about that, it was really a great step and it was an early step and they were the, one of the first agencies to do it here in the U.S. And to have that forum, to have that discussion, to talk about these things is critical. And that's, you know, uh, a, a critical path. And I think that's something, you know, that we look to do through training programs like RAFT, which is, you know, just be able to understand all sides of this, um, to be able to see what's coming down the pike as well. You know, so we have some um, you know, forward thinking panels as well, which are around some things like the election things, you know, what happens in the fintech space, what happens with bank partnership models, all these things are, you know, you, you also, when you're in these businesses, you have to not only have to be a point in the time analysis, but also thinking forward as well. I also like, it's really the convergence of East and West, right? Mm. So we bring this East Coast, we're sitting in Washington. So we've got a panel on engaging legislators, when do you engage the regulators, you know, when, so, and then we're, we're talking to, you know, clearly a bunch of folks on the West coast. So it's a really great East meets West kind of um, combo in this training. How much should FinTech founders and just like the FinTech nerdarati of the world, the FinTech arati of the world, how much should they pay attention to politics, right? Like, should we be obsessed about this election? Should we be, working, you know, outside of our own like personal conviction to do something additional because of something business related, like how, how much of this should be on top of our mind? Because I think we're all on the same page that like 2020 is kind of like a burning shit show. Of uh, yeah. And that's like, yeah. a, like yeah. <laughs> there's only so much news we can watch without climbing in a hole and just kind of rocking back and forth. Uh, so I'm curious from both of your perspectives, like, should I be watching more news? Should I be doing more? What, what should we be doing as an industry? Yeah, I think we're at such a critical time now, and it's not just the election. Obviously, there's other factors. The uh, yeah. pandemic is the, you know, but in general, I think you know, it's it, within financial services, it's really this major convergence right now. What's going on? I mean, I think the shape of financial services uh, is evolving very quickly, and it, you know, it's not only the technology; it's the regulation. I mean, you think about just what a bank is now; uh, it's very different than it was. In, five years ago, and it would be very different in the next five years. And so, um, 
you know, the election is critical, you know, leaving politics aside, but within the financial services space is very critical to see how, how is this going to be treated going forward? I mean, right now you're seeing, you know, a wave of creativity and innovation in the financial services space. You have a controller at the OCC who is really promoting that. You're seeing the states, you know, react to that and come up with some similar type of innovation. And so, you know, people seem to be really moving along and thinking about, you know, how do we kind of move forward with the innovation? Um, you know, what happens post-election? You know, you have changes within the agencies. You have you know, a lot more um, emphasis from a congressional perspective on certain areas, uh, depending on which side of the coin uh, wins in the election. And so that could, you know, one way or another, could uh, shape uh, what happens in terms of, uh, you know, additional regulation or enforcement or, you know, thinking through how to, how this, you know, moves forward. And so I think it's something to watch very closely, um, especially again, with the way we are within the financial services space and, you know, where, where this lands. Cause I, th- I really think it's going to be interesting to see, you know, at the end of the day, what, who the winners and losers are. You know, I, I think that unlike more traditional financial services, where the lines are clearer in terms of parties and where they might stand on big banks. And, you know, it's just not true on fintech. It's such an evolving area. I mean, there are clearly certain hot button issues. Um, But I, I think sort of the promise of providing better financial services, more inclusive financial services, uh, more convenience, you know, leveraging the use of technology can appeal to both sides. And so uh, it, it's not sort of so easy to say, yeah, this is a, this is going to be great for fintech. It's going to be terrible for fintech. You know, I just don't, I don't know how to make that prediction. That's fascinating. And, and the other thing is you see controllers, you know, Tom Curry was an Obama appointee. Mm-hmm. He started the road, you know, for the OCC down innovation. Brian Brooks is a Trump appointee. He's clearly, you know, moving this to another level. And so I think that sort of underscores my point, which is, you know, both sides see terrific things out of innovation and both sides can see Hmm. There's some warning signs yeah. as well. I think, so. I think, yeah, I mean, I think as as humans in the middle, we can all agree that efficient regulation is a good thing for all, yeah. right? Yeah. Sorry, John. I think I no. I just say I think what you know the encouraging sign overall is you know just to get back to your wrap, for example, I'm moderating a panel with uh, heads of innovation from six different agencies, and to, to see that we're at this point now where we just had the OCC for a long time. Uh, you know, we have, of course, in the U.S., we have this great uh, regulatory patchwork and multiple layers of, of regulatory supervision. But I think, you know, to have all this infrastructure in place and have people having discussions and leading, you know, around innovation and offices of innovation, I think it's really encouraging. And so, yes, the election will have an impact on that. I think the impact will be in terms of what is emphasized and what is de-emphasized, what is, you know, seen as problematic, you know things like payday lending or things like that could really impact the consumer in a negative fashion, you know, discriminatory lending practices, all those things that, um, you know, have been highlighted in the past, you know, may raise the, come back to the the forefront uh, or but it might be other issues. It might be, you know, blockchain uh, technology, 
you know, it could be more pro blockchain or it could be, you know, folks saying things like the Libra project or, you know, uh, you know, are, aren't really fans of it and don't want it, those types of things to go forward. So those, it's really, really around what's going to be emphasized and de-emphasized uh, as a result. You know, a lot of it is also the person who heads up the agency. Like we have seen right. two Republican controllers, you know, one who did not spend a whole, this was not a priority. Innovation was not a priority, although, you know, he moved the special purpose national bank charter forward. And then you have the acting controller and this is seems to be his main priority. So a lot of it is personality driven, um, you know, unless there's a whole lot of pressure that may come from the Hill um, or the administration more generally. Yeah, that's, I mean, I think I have two of probably, two of the people in the world that are probably most qualified to answer this kind of deeper probing question, which is like the 2020 election, right? We get so focused on the person sitting in the Oval Office, right? And that's an incredibly important thing as a country for a lot of different reasons mm -hmm. that I think we're all on the same page about. But there's kind of two sides to this, right? Like there's congressional control, house control kind of thing, and the presidential piece. And to your point on like payday lending, right? Trump's been able to kind of, at least from my reading, been able to roll back some of the CFPB regulations that were put in under Obama. So there definitely is like some pulling of the strings from the Oval Office. But I'm curious, how much should folks be concerned and laser focused on this one person in the Oval Office versus like the congressional control and kind of, you know, their individual geographic location and how that kind of manifests itself in Washington, I guess. Well, I, I think from the top down approach, I mean, I think that's going to impact, you know, who some of the appointments are to the agencies. To Amy's point, I think that drives a lot of the agenda. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, the congressional piece is very important as well. Some of these committees are very, you know, have a lot of big say on things, you know, from the oversight role. You know, you look at House Financial Services Committee and Maxine Waters has been very influential and outspoken on a variety of issues um, and very forward thinking in terms of making sure that the consumer is protected in a lot of these models, whether it's fintech or otherwise. And so I would think if you had, you know, more emphasis on the Democratic side, you would see obviously more. Uh, focus around those issues, you know, so more hearings, more oversight around, you know, what are the impacts of these technologies? I mean, obviously, clearly, there's there's tons of benefits, and we shouldn't lose sight of that, but also um, making sure that the risks that may be there are fully addressed uh, from a oversight perspective, from a supervisory perspective, and, you know, so whether that equates to more legislation, I'm not sure, but it certainly will equate to more discussion around these issues. Yeah, I agree. I mean, clearly, which party dominates in the House and or the Senate, you know, dictates what a lot of the oversight is of those committees and congressional oversight can absolutely um, sort of command action by the regulators. And the makeup of the Senate is going to be very important because the Senate needs to confirm uh, whatever appointee. So if it's an all Democratic Congress and the Democratic White House, you know, you may end up actually even having some different people in these agencies than you would if it's a Republican controlled Senate and a Democratic White House. Um, so it's important all the way around. And it's another one of those, you know, well, let's start with the answer that is that there's about 6,000 stakeholders mm -hmm. and we need to take them all into account and they're all have different perspectives. I mean, there's just, it's such a multivariate world. It's absolutely fascinating. I mean, if you two were early to mid-stage fintech founders, I guess in the, the B2C space specifically, 
doing a debit card, a credit card, you know, whatever that card issuance product is that we all kind of think of as like the the nail and we're all hammers in this world of fintech, just putting cards in everybody's hands. And if you meet a founder, they've got like 60 that they've tested from different companies. Um, how would you be thinking about it? Would you go the, you know, early stage, I'm raising a seed round, I want to get a sponsor bank and then deep risk. And then, you know, as we reach Vero level scale, let's think about, you know, getting a de novo charter. Do you think that people should be raising a lot more off the bat and going de novo day one, which doesn't sound easy? I'm, I'm curious, like from your perspective, what's the best practice there? And probably it's different for different swimming lanes, but broadly, I'm curious if you have thoughts. There's a sort of different calculus, right? Not, none of it, if, if you want to become a bank or acquire a bank, it's just a it's a bit of a long road, it, it, you know, yeah. uh, and it's quite expensive uh, and it takes a compliant mindset, uh, mm-hmm. staffing, you know, talent, policies, procedures, investment um, in the right tech. And it is so it, it's sort of it's not an easy journey. And. Uh, the regulators expect you to have a certain amount of capital, right? You know, depending mm-hmm. upon your business model. So obviously raising a bunch of money and going in in good shape, you know, and, and having some, the money that can, you know, provide the capital that is required by the regulators, that's a good thing. You have a pretty limited window in which to raise that capital once you get a provisional license, Um it's a sort of short term. So um, I think, you know, there are a lot of different things as John went through, there's a lot of different options and it really depends what's your business model, you know, what do you want to be? Does it make sense to be a partner? Um, Because that is not without cost, um, but it may not require the same level and it doesn't require the same level of commitment to actually become a bank. And yes, as you say, there's also different ways. You can become a de novo right off the bat before you actually even have a business. And there's certainly models out there for doing that, you know, or do you scale up as a fintech and make the decision along the way that you want to become a bank because you see that this just makes sense. It's much more free to be your own bank as opposed to be beholden to your bank partner, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you have many more services and products that you can offer. And I think that's a decision that Varo made. And again, I wasn't there at the time that they made that decision. And then, or do you want to acquire a bank and what goes into that? They are all a commitment mm-hmm. and it's all really a matter of, you know, what are your priorities? How much are you willing to spend? Uh, what's your business model? Yeah. And there's no real easy path. I mean, even, you know, you look at the act, you say, why haven't more people gone the acquisition route? Well, that's not as really easy. You know, you still have to go through the regulatory approval process. And then also you have to assume whatever, you know, assets and liabilities the current bank has. It's not like, uh, you know, post Dodd Frank, when we had these government assisted deals, and the government was able to take all the bad, uh, the the bad assets that were on the books, uh, and things like that. And so, um, you know, I think there's, like I said, there's no easy path, but I think the de novo charter, I would say, is really difficult to say from day one, you know, let's go down the de novo path. Um, I think, you know, doing something in sequence makes more sense to me, especially if you want to get to market. So, and there's a lot of good, you know, sponsor banks and partnerships out there that you can, that you can attain uh, in the short run. And that really allows you to kind of have 
proof of concept from a product standpoint, uh, build out your infrastructure infrastructure from a compliance standpoint. And as, as Amy knows, I mean, you know, there's, you have to be profitable to get a bank charter. And a lot of these fintechs, that's a real hurdle that right. they don't have. And then as well as like, you have to have a strong risk management uh, protocols. And so, you know, so it takes time to develop that. And so I think at the early stage, I think it's important. Um, and so probably, you know, having the going the, the partner route is the way to go initially. And then, you know, thinking forward, uh, other types of models. Now, I would also say it's interesting, um, you know, flipping the page a little bit on the bank side, you know, you're seeing more and more banks that are trying to explore how can, they can partner with fintechs. And I think, you know, that's an area, um, I think if you're in a bank, especially a smaller bank these days, community banks, uh, it's a potential growth area. The business of banking is more difficult than it's ever been. And I think, you know, the folks that don't have a fintech strategy or are not thinking about that are a little short-sighted uh, because it really, you know, these these banks are going to need to evolve and it's they're going to be very different, uh, like I said earlier, in terms of you know, what they are and who they service because the customers, consumers demand deli- different delivery channels for financial services these days. But there's so many different kinds of partnerships, right? You can have a bank fintech partner where the fintech is completely in the background and just helping the bank to automate and provide better and more convenient services, which is very different than some of these other sponsor banks um, with a fintech partner. Well, I guess the only other thing I would say is if you scale up first as a business to convert to a bank, then you have to convert an existing business into a bank. And that's not automatic either. So, Right. And that that P word that John brought up, which I, I don't hear often, but I think it is P-R-O-F, profitability. Oh, yeah. What is yeah. that word? Yeah. I'm unfamiliar. I've heard, yeah. I've, I've heard about that in my past, but, you know, when you're talking to VCs, that doesn't come up much. So I was, you caught me off guard. Yeah, there. it's a, a, path, a path to profitability. There it is. <laughs> Anytime you mention the, the P word around someone from the OCC, though, they automatically think preemption, but, you know, profitability, too. <laughs> <Yeah>. ah. <laughs> That's yeah. funny. It's, it's coastally dependent yeah. yet yeah. again. Um, so broadly, I'm curious, just like kind of one last, I guess, like mental model question there. From my perspective, getting into the world of this like consumer specific banking fintech, probably about three years ago now. I was this, you know, hard charging, like there need to be lower barriers to entry for early stage fintech companies and like not actually understanding the bank regulation space and not at, and still as you know, we all know on this call, don't fully understand that. Um, but should the barrier to entry be lower for an early stage fintech company trying to do something in the payments or financial services space? just broadly, or do you think that like the barriers to entry there are pretty appropriate where they stand right now, kind of with your average sponsor bank or with trying to get a de novo, like whatever that direction is, do you think it like makes sense? Or do you think that there's like some, some layers that we should pull back to make the process easier? So if you're talking about um, wanting to partner an early stage FinTech, wanting to partner with a bank, a bank is going to expect that that FinTech have some type of compliance, you know, mechanism and, 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 and sort of strategy and apparatus in place because the bank is ultimately held responsible by its regulator for whatever its fintech partner is doing. 
So the thought of a very, very early stage, you need to have something to get that that fintech to the point that a bank feels comfortable having done due diligence, that it can responsibly partner and trust that there will be mechanisms that are in place. Um, so, you know, however they get there, I think that's that's a consideration. And to get a, to be a de novo, to, you know, to get a bank charter, there are very high expectations in place. And I think that's fair. I mean, with a bank charter can come deposit insurance, can come access to the, you know, payment system and the discount window. And so um, I think those are appropriate. Yeah, I agree. I think the barriers to entry are very appropriate. And it, it kind of, you know, this is financial services, you're dealing with people's uh, finances and, and, you know, you need to take that seriously. And there is this element of consumer protection. And there's also an element of, you know, uh, it really drives the economy. And so there's this overall macroeconomic uh, piece of it as well that we shouldn't, you know, should, should consider as well. And so I think, um, you know, to me, there's ways to get to the market, there's partnership models, there's, you know, and, and then also ways to, you know, look at different charter choices. Uh, I think really more than the barrier to entry question, I think to me the the issue is around, you know, what is the entry point? And so, you know, having more clarity around what business models fit into what box and what are the licensing requirements. And then, you know, maybe there is some also other elements and areas where we can do some more kind of collective term experimentation. And so things like sandboxes could have a place, uh, you know, if you do, can do something around, a, you know, a safer environment, you know, with still making sure that you have adequate disclosures, you have adequate minimum uh, protections for the for the consumer and kind of a beta type of format. Uh, I think that's good because one, you can learn more in terms of what those risks are and how they relate in a real world uh, use case and to understand what the supervisory expectations are. And so, um, you know, the more we kind of think through these things and have, again, you know, the proof of concept, I think that's um, going to be helpful. And, you know, the more we learn about it, but, you know, the flip side too is uh, that everything keeps evolving. And so then when you think you have one thing, hey, it's like whack-a-mole, right? You have one thing figured out and then you have a newer business model the next day. So it's, again, having this constant um, review and discussion around these things are, is important. Yeah, and if you're not necessarily partnering with the bank if you're a fintech that you know has a different model that's not sort of dependent upon that then the barriers to entry are probably they're not as high so you know what is the market going to bear what is a, if it does need to be licensed what are the sort of the state licensing requirements so they're just different this oh, is nice. i like when i agree with you too. It makes me happy but i've i've gotten a lot of notes recently from students actually that i found out are listening to for fintech's sake I'm a little surprised. I really thought this was just for me to learn, but apparently there's, you know, a lot of graduate and undergraduate students that are hopping on here as well. And one of the things that I've gotten a couple questions on is specifically like, what's the highest utility area for someone to spend their career or to like think about a first step in the world of fintech? Like I started right in this robo advisor space focused on retirement. And then I was like, wait, only the wealthy or like the quasi wealthy are even worried about retirement. Right. And then I kind of moved towards this like banking space a little bit. And I was like, all right, we need everybody to have an emergency savings. And I was like, wow, only like this percentage of society has an emergency savings. And then I was like, wait, lending is all that matters because we're actually in debt. Right. Because to hell with the emergency savings, we just got to get people out of debt. Right. And then uh, from there, I've realized that, you know, speaking of CFPB, speaking of the Congress and the, the White House and everything else that, 
the things that inform all of this are regulation. And like, that seems to be the biggest umbrella that actually like could create change in the world. Um, so I guess that's a little bit of a softball, but I'm really curious from both of you, like where, if you were kind of starting over in your career at this point, or like thinking about having the biggest impact on the world of finance, like where would you start? And maybe Amy, your perspective first. Wow. Okay. So I have loved being in policy and, um, you know, working on legislation and regulation just because I love thinking through these sort of thorny problems and uh, listening to different stakeholders and even navigating the sort of politics on Capitol Hill of how do you get a majority to get something through. And so I feel like I can look back on my career and say, okay, I've worked on laws and regulations that they've definitely had an effect. Um, and, and I'm proud of the work that I did. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it differently, but I also think there are businesses that have broken through and shown the way. And, you know, I have never, I haven't created a business like that. And there are things that are groundbreaking and things that businesses can do in a very different way. So I'm not sure, you know, if you're like the next great thing that does something revolutionary, that's not coming from a policymaker, that's coming from an entrepreneur. So I see both mm -hmm. sides of that equation. John, well, actually one, one more do you think that there's, this is also a leading question for John, I guess, but do you think that there's more room for policy informed entrepreneurs, right? Because I think one of the things that in my, in my head, like one of the, like, that's why I love Joanne, right? At the end of the day is like, she had, she has that depth of experience, but also she understands this like forward thinking, like she's involved in Hummingbird who just raised around and, you know, you're seeing the alloys of the world raise around and there's almost this kind of like if you can get some experience in the world of regulation and then move forward into entrepreneurship, like the, like you look around and just about nobody has the experience that you do. Right. I would think, I mean, most of these companies for the most part are not hiring, you know, ex regulators that quickly. Um, it seems like you'd be a real like individual contributor that could not be replaced, could not be, you know, quantified in a lot of ways. Like there could be a lot of value there. Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely a lot of value in just having that perspective, um, you know, and having a broader understanding, you know, as, as I mentioned earlier, in terms of, it's one of the things that I enjoy about, you know, our team at FS Vector, you know, look at somebody like Raj Date. Um, so Raj has spent, you know, started his career, mostly kind of on Wall Street, and then went into kind of government, it was it helped prop up the CFPB during, you know, post Todd Frank, and spent some time there and really understanding and diving into the consumer issues. And then after that has been, um, you know, an investor, a board member, you know, and bringing that, that wealth of perspective to different firms, I think that's huge. And I think, you know, to be able to, and then looking to invest in other folks um, and providing that kind of DNA uh, to the discussion in terms of, you know, what would resonate in the market and what, you know, is what is needed, um, I think is really valuable to your point. Um, to your other point in terms of, you know, what it kind of excites me around, you know, the fintech marketplace in general, I think it's all of the above. I think you really have the opportunity here with a lot of these business models to make a positive impact, uh, you know, in, in many ways. And some of it's more simple than others. But I mean, even, you know, you mentioned, you know, a lot of folks don't have any savings. You know, a lot of folks don't have 
um, can, you know, really think about how to manage their finances day in and day out. And it's a real struggle. And so the ability to do so, the ability to help people uh, achieve wealth or savings or, or to also, you know, the issue of financial inclusion, um, the ability to get people uh, access to credit that might not otherwise have access to credit. Uh, and, you know, whether it's in the U.S. or some of these other countries, especially that are really underbanked or unbanked, um, you know, if we can unlock that a little bit more, I think that would be, you know, really a terrific thing. And again, it obviously has to be done the right way. Um, you know, we hopefully will learn from the, the lessons of the past where we saw some of these, you know, more predatory type products or things that are done that lead to a, a more uh, problematic path. But I think if it's done the right way and everybody's involved and thinking through with the the regulatory frameworks are in general, you know, there's a real, like I said, a positive impact. There will be a positive impact for consumers. And that is what's exciting here, right? It's the combination of tech um, and you know, responsible innovation, right? Or, and beneficial in innovation, doing the right thing for consumers and also having a regulatory framework that allows that and the regulatory clarity. So, you know, I think all of those things are under development, right? The technology, um, as well as the regulatory understanding um, and, and sort of the need to figure out what do they need to shape? What can they just let take hold? What regulations exist now that are sufficient? Where do we need to make changes? Because we're going to have to have innovation and regulation as well. That's a great note to end on. You both got me excited to like go back to work and do nerdy things this afternoon. So I love it. So the last question is kind of where should folks look for more information on FS Vector? If they want to find out about things like Raft, where where should they go online to, to find this information? And if they were to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, uh, very simple. We can just get on our website, fsvector.com, or, you know, feel free to reach out to me uh, at jbecca, B-E-C-C-I-A, at fsvector.com. That's my email. You can contact us on LinkedIn or social or any of those usual channels. Um, i happy to talk to anybody, anytime, any subject. Uh, yeah, really, uh, like you said, love to nerd out on these issues and uh, uh, look forward to to hear from folks. And I'm a friend at fsvector.com. <laughs> really. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's one of the friendliest emails I've ever heard of. That's for sure. These are the puns, people. Anyways, thank you both. This was incredibly fun. Always a blast to connect with you two. Uh, I hope we can do this in person sometime 2021 or something. I'm looking forward to spending some more time, but thank you as always and uh, have a great rest of the day. You two. Thanks, Zach. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yep. Appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this episode of For Fintech's Sake with John Betchia and Amy Friend from FS Vector. I always learn a lot talking to them, so I hope you learned something listening to them. If you're not subscribed, please press that button on your favorite podcast platform. And if you really love the show, leave us a review. Y'all know the drill. Five stars all day, every day. Until next time, stay healthy, keep your head high, and go tell somebody you love them. This year's been hard enough. Go spread some love. See y'all next time, team.